My Family Thinks I'm Crazy, a podcast where I, your host, try to give you some tips on how you can explain all this weird, wild, crazy conspiracy stuff to the people you love most, because that's what I've been trying to do for the past 10 years with no success. I've been telling everybody that our government is shady, but every time I do, my family thinks I'm crazy. For centuries, the forces of light and dark have battled each other for the souls of Earth. As we've been told by the religious dogmatic establishment, there is a devil who seeks to corrupt and deceive while professing to bear truth and light. Others say this devilish character has invaded the religious dogmatic establishment like a wolf in sheep's clothing, leaving the masses under a spell cast upon them so that they burn at the stake anyone who dare question their dogmatic programming. These heretics have become anti-heroes in a world that has forgotten its true origins and laughs in the face of truth while beckoning their demise, worshipping a reflection, a bastard refraction. Here's to the reformers, the heretics, the eternal dropouts, the fringe, the unwanted, those who question everything. Here's to the Gnostic, the proper and the modern. To those who seek Gnosis, I salute you. And so does today's returning guest, Miguel Connor of Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio bookkeeper of the virtual library of alexandria joining me mystic mark here on the my family thinks i'm crazy podcast thank you for tuning in and enjoy this episode with miguel connor And Hermes, obviously, with the Hermetics, was a huge, important figure. He does appear in some Gnostic texts, like the Nascenes and so forth. He's, but he and Jesus are kind of the same one. But obviously, in occultism and the esoterica, through modern, through beyond the Middle Ages, after the late antiquity to modern times, Hermes is still the, you might say, still the main force behind all these practices, alchemy, divination, all these things. And I would say he's also the perfect god for our era because this is what Richard Smoley said once, which blew me away. In ancient times, Hermes was the god of the mind. He was the god of inspiration, intelligence. He was the logos of the classical times, but he was also the god of the tricks. And that made me realize, holy shit, that is so true. Our mind, the human mind can do so much and take us so far, but it's also the biggest shit poster for our egos that we'll ever find out. It, it, it will make completely illogical turns and come up with the most insane ideas not just personally but as humans for a collective and it was this amazing paradox of the human mind and really manifests itself in human civilization the mind is the greatest trickster and the mind is also what connects us like hermes to the heavenly realm 
that's a hard one. I think I would advise your younger viewers, for God's sakes, keep a fucking journal. Mm. That's all I have to say because I used to keep a journal and it was so useful because as time goes by, details are, you know, the days, what exactly happened are so hard to keep up with. There's images, there's other things. I guess you can look back at photographs, but keeping a journal really, help you understand. I mean, I'm a big proponent of dream journals, but I think our waking life is sort of a dream. Reality is very fluid. People have completely different perspectives, even if they were the same place 20 years ago. I mean, even in our life of trauma is I do more work. You know, I'll go back to a part where I was abusive and then I realized, well, it was either it wasn't so bad, it was worse, but I didn't understand. There was a lot more going on and seeing the whole picture really helps. So, yeah, definitely keep a journal. I can honestly say it really comes down to walking with my mom as a young child and seeing a dead bird on the sidewalk. And asking my mom, like, well, what the hell is this? And she's like, well, and nature animal dies. And me feeling, well, that kind of sucks. I mean, what, this game is rigged. It's like the first time in my life I realized something's not wrong. This cute little birdie just died. That's it. Dead bird. And it's just laying there for no apparent reason. You could say that might have been the first hints of my agnostic leanings, but those continued throughout life. I mean, I was always, I tried to think outside the box. I was a dreamer. I had visions, weird dreams. I was just one of those people who was not part of normative society. And unfortunately, I, I don't know if things are better, in some ways they're worse, but you know, it was a time where you either conformed, you had to follow certain formulas or bad things happened to you and bad things happened to me. I couldn't focus in school, I ended up getting in a lot of trouble and so forth. And as I got older, it became more and more, it was harder to conform. It was harder to dream because the pressure just kept getting more and more. So you start escaping and that's fine. We do what we can, writing comic books, listening to music alone in your room, hanging out with the boys who smoke outside of school, all that good stuff. But unfortunately, and because all of us have some sort of trauma and I had my uh, plenty of uh, trauma as a child, you start self-medicating with drugs and other things, getting in trouble, uh, criminal trouble. And unfortunately, I have nothing against drugs, but I feel if you're going to do them, they need to be done in a ritualistic way. They need to be done with some sort of mentorship, initiation, and really anything you do in life, especially for young men. But that got me in trouble and that got me into some bad places. And eventually through my adult years, that led me through this sort of dichotomy of searching through various religions and philosophies the Philip K. Dick notions of what is reality and what it is to be a human being. And on the other side, struggling with substance abuse, insanity, and all that good stuff. Sort of the your basic journey of the artist or misfit that you have. And luckily, as I've hit my middle age, I have found the tools or the and to be able to balance my life and live a more balanced life, if you would. And uh, yeah, the Gnostic philosophy and theology has certainly been part of my growth in all of this. That's, that's really it in a nutshell. I wish it's nothing original. I mean, that's what well, and then, going and to rehab and 
when I walked in and I realized all these other people had the same story, I was like, well, I guess I'm not this great rebel without a cause or, you know, it's like it's there are new new stories and they're all kind of sad. Well, I think that it's it's right at home here. And especially after your comments about sanity, this is the My Family Thinks Some Crazy podcast, Miguel. So a lot of people gravitate to this show feeling similar issues. I myself question my own sanity often, but yeah, there's no shame in in that. We all walk this road through this prison planet and, and yeah, I mean, there are a few roads to walk down, unfortunately, when your perspective is limited by culture as it was for you, I'm sure. I've heard you describe yourself as a mystically inclined misfit. And I also learned that you spent some time when you're growing up in Mexico, right? So do you think that growing up in a different culture, we just had a really brilliant conversation with a gentleman named Esoteric Eddie. He's been doing some research into Mexico and told me about this sorcerer named Texcali Pocla, something like that. I'm sure I butchered the, (laughs) the pronunciation, but... He says, and this is Esoteric Eddie's theory, not mine, that this sorcerer in Toltec history did something to curse Mexico in a way. And he said, this is part of why they're obsessed with death. And I wonder, you know, growing up there as a kid, you mentioned the dead bird being kind of one of many symbolic initiatory, you know, events, so to speak. Were there any others that stand out? Any, you know, visions of of reincarnation or the afterlife, things like that as a kid? As a kid, there was sort of a UFO experience when I was in Mexico going on a camping trip. There was, I mean, living in Mexico is sort of a magic realist place anyway. I mean, we celebrated the Day of the Dead. We went to places that were haunted, places that were cursed. Sometimes we did the Ouija board or we'd find some mystical lady who would give us visions. I mean, it was, it's kind of hard because I mean, as a kid, especially that culture, the what is fictional and what is real sort of starts melting together. So, I mean, the real trick is when you're older. I think kids are all mystically inclined and they have sort of a deeper connection because they haven't been fragmented and programmed. So they tend to have a deeper connection into what the, you know, what Henry Carbon calls the, the imagine. So it's, I can't say anything like super powerful. Those, those were, those visions came later. Mm. And then you come to America where the occult is very present, but on a different sort of level not so much a communal level but really more in the pop culture sphere and i wonder you know what was that transition like coming to america you talked about having a rebellious childhood i was raised catholic as well so i kind of got the the sort of reflex that many catholic children get of like oh this doesn't seem right but seems like mexico might have a whole entirely different flavor of Catholicism. So maybe the comparison doesn't stand, but yeah. What was that transition like when you, when you finally came to the States? Well, the Catholic church in Mexico, at least at the time was a lot more mystical and ecumenical. So, I mean, I I would go to church and they'd have a rock band and the, or the parish priests would be like, 
we are all Jesus Christ is the son of God, but we are all sons of God and we are all brothers. It was very hippie at the time. That was Mexico. When I came to the United States, it was definitely a little more strict or a lot more strict or, or traditional. But I never really had a problem with the Catholic Church because, again, it was both here in the United States. It was a time when the church was very ecumenical. So the idea of studying, for example, it wasn't a problem for us to read the Old Testament and see it as myth. We didn't have to take it literally in my church. And we could be a lot more open-minded about the Gospels not being written by Mark, Matthew, and Luke, and all these other things. So my experience was pretty good, and they encouraged us to to interact with other religions and test the waters. And, and that's something I did even in my 20s and late teens. I would go to Hindu ashrams or I had a lot of Muslim friends, so we'd go to a mosque and pray. So, and that continued even later to my 20s and 30s. So obviously the church definitely didn't have a problem with that. They certainly always had a problem with Gnosticism from what I've heard. But again, our kids, my wife is Catholic. Our kids are being raised Catholic and... It's all good. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's it's something that can prime you for a life interested in the occult just because there are some things that still remain. Even here in New England with the Catholic Church, it's sort of watered down. But recently I've been reading Michael Hoffman's breakdown of the Church of Rome. He's got this big book, the, the Occult Renaissance Church of Rome over there on my desk. And Everything that, you know, they were doing in the Egyptian Gnostic sort of world, it got filtered down over many different years. And, and there's sort of like an empty vessel of it, you know, in, in church. But I wonder, you said you were sort of like a spiritual hitchhiker and you even were an atheist for some time. Gnosticism obviously something you spent a lot of time thinking about over the past course of your radio show it seems to me and this is a novice perspective but it seems to me like gnostics were the original syncretists and you yourself have had a sort of you know universalist if anything approach to religion just kind of testing out many different types do you think that that's a, a fair description to say that the Gnostics were sort of syncretists taking things that were left out of Christianity and, and bringing them back into the fold or, or taking things from other religions and bringing them back in? Or, or am I off with that? Yeah, I think all religions are syncretic. I don't think there is such a thing as a pure religion. They might like to say it. But uh, all religions are a fusion, or as David, a scholar David Brackey said, they are all in a state of hybridity, even if unconsciously they'll be borrowing from other religions. I think with the Gnostics, it was more they were syncretic in their rituals. In other words, they might have been history's first chaos magicians because it starts with the gnosis the visions or the feelings you have like neo in the matrix when morpheus says you know there's something wrong with the world you don't know what it is but it's driving you mad it's there like a splinter in your mind and you're like some something i am waking up and i'm realizing that reality is far from what it seems to be that it's very brittle that this isn't real and i am realizing that 
I am not who I thought I was. There's something completely fake about me, but there's also something I can sense stirring that is so real about me, but I don't know how to get there. So I'm starting to feel that this universe is ruled by these dark forces and all of my paranoia is actually me paying attention the whole time. Something you get this story, the red pill or before, right before the red pill. So the, the Gnostics were like, well, I need to get myself into an altered state of mind. Part of Gnosis is Gnosticism has always been by default, a shamanistic religion. You're supposed to go into a, an ecstatic altered state of mind, get out of your head and get into behind the veil and see what's out there. Take an astral travel or two, whether this has, you know, and of course the argument is the astral travel out there or inside of us. And the argument would be, or the answer is both as above, so below as within, so it's without heaven is within us, but it's also somewhere else. So the Gnostics would say, well, I was born in Rome in the second century. I was born in Egypt. So what I need to do is I need to support my gnosis. So I'm going to borrow from what's around me and create this sort of ritual that will get me into an altered state of mind. That's why Gnostics, let's say in Alexandria, Egypt, might practice sexual rituals or some sort of ritual that harkens back to the ancient mysteries. And then later on, Gnostics in Rome would practice more of a sacramental ritual that's close to Christianity. Some Gnostics might choose entheogens, or they might choose meditation and so forth. So there's that one stream of Gnosis, but again, it, you have to draw from your cultural background to find out what you need. I mean, and, and also being very much an anarchist kind of secret society, small lodge movement, you would have to tailor to what you want. I mean, a lot of people ask me, well, what should I do? I said, well, you're a unique human being. There's a, there's a prescription of rituals that will work for you and only you. Most religions want to give you some Buzzfeed list. Like, you know, if you do this, this, and this, you'll go to heaven or have an altered state of mind. But I think with the Gnostics, it's more of an attitude of tailor-made shamanistic. You grab from every place you can and what you do until you can get that red pill and see reality for what it is. Mm. It's hard for people to understand that it, it's been very hard for me to understand it but that's i think what makes the most sense even if i think the original gnostics started out as the carriers of the egyptian mysteries but again as it spread as it became other movements it needed to as the april deconic the scholar said you gotta everything in the kitchen sink so you can have that experience right right and and this is familiar we've talked about this before on your earlier appearance here on this show i can remember see that's why you need the journal <laughs> <laughs> indeed and this is you know kind of like an audio journal i do a lot of uh, patreon episodes for a time i was i was you know doing an episode under each sign of the moon you know and we were kind of keeping track of the moon through the mayan dream spell calendar this was last summer so but either way Miguel, I, I feel compelled to to like spill my guts to you for some reason. I don't know if you get this a lot, but you're a great host of your show, so maybe that's to your advantage. But I'm the host this time, or at least today, so let me try to keep my wheels on the cart here. But 
When it comes to shamanism, you mentioned this several times throughout this interview, that Gnosticism is kind of like, a, and shamanism are kind of one in, in the same in a way. Can we get into that a little more? Because I know you've had your trials and tribulations with various, you know, substances through addiction. And I myself can, you know, uh, regrettably, but also sort of proudly say I'm addicted to cannabis. It works for me. It's not really ruining my life. It's it's probably burning a hole in my wallet, but it's definitely it's definitely not, you know, causing me to do things that harm myself. But I, I can see where a dependency is starting. Cause unlike many of the friends that I began smoking weed with, I still smoke and, and I smoke with a sort of intention. Whereas my other friends smoked with the intention of enjoying their day or, or getting high. I've always seen cannabis as a Gnostic plant. And I had a mentor very early on who sort of set me straight with cannabis and told me, you know, don't take this for granted. Smoke with intention. Say your prayers when you smoke. And now I find that if I take a few hits while I'm talking to guests on the show, I sound a little smarter, but who knows? Maybe the listeners would would debate that. But yeah, what is your experience with you know various? I don't know which substances you were you know particular to, but for me, it's been cannabis and and various psychedelics. And yeah, I'm curious. I've always been very afraid of anything harder than those, and and that's probably because of my upbringing. I had a parent struggled with alcoholism, and I saw really early on like, okay, this stuff might ruin my life and given how addicted I am to cannabis I don't want to push the you know try anything harder but yeah please let me stop here and, and see if you can come up with an answer to my many questions that I just gave you well I think the answer is always going to come down to the simple question is it helping your self-knowledge I think the key to any gnosis or any existence is a simple te temple of Delphi know thyself or what did Socrates say the unexamined life is not worth living and the what is getting in the way of you knowing yourself only you can answer that question people can you know give their opinion all they want and that's fine but at the end of the day is what what how are you going to take that journey inward to find out your soul, the greatest adventure of all, to find out who you really are and what your purpose is? It's like that quote, allegedly, that allegedly Mark Twain said, the two most important days in your life are the day you are born and the day you find out why. 99% of people in this world have no idea why they were born. And the other 1% of us, we're at least trying. We're looking very hard. And uh, maybe that's it. We're, the, we're, we're, we're meant to find out in this journey and take it to the next world. But is it getting in the way of your interior world? And for me, obviously, it was. All these drugs were eventually very destructive. They were, as they say in AA, it was it was suicide in installments. It was a form of self-destruction, and I had to stop. I haven't smoked cannabis. I, 1999 was the last time I smoked recreationally. Wow. And then a few times I've done ayahuasca ceremonies. And the shaman would tell us when we had too much ayahuasca and it looks like we're about to pop because it's so intense. They'd say, you smoke this or else you're gonna, you ain't coming back from this trip. And, you know, but I, I would not consider that like 
Right. No, that's yeah. Part of the entire. The shaman is licensed doctor in Brazil, and you know what I mean. It's right. it's it's like a like a doctor giving you a prescription for some for a painkiller. It's not it's not the same as a relapse. So, but I have nothing wrong against. I, I believe all drugs. I'm a radical. I believe all drugs should be legalized, and everybody should have a right to it. But for me, I had to stop because it was getting in the way of my self-knowledge. Something went wrong, something broke in my mind. It's a great mystery and I cannot handle, unless, as we were just talking, if it's a very ritualistic ceremony in an ancient tradition that has controls and you're by step. And that's, I think any sort of mind alteration should have that. I mean, that's the whole point of these things is that you have a hierophant or a shaman or an elder that can take you through these changes of perception, changes of consciousness until you are reached, you go behind the veil and you see reality and you start finding out what's underneath you and everything else. So a bit of a long-winded answer. So it's at the end of the day, it's like, up to you thank you yeah and and that's undoubtedly relatable for those in the audience and you have a a patreon show which i'm a supporter of your patreon i have been for a while i recommend folks go and uh, sign up for aeon bite on patreon you have a show there called finding hermes and this is sort of dedicated to this topic or at least discussing i know you've had our mutual friend Sam Tripoli on the show, he is very vocal and, and honest about his struggle with drugs. And I, I'm curious, why Hermes? What What is Hermes? How does Hermes connect? And, and maybe we can expand from here a little bit more into Gnosticism and, and you know, where this kind of comes full circle. But let's start with Hermes. Where does he connect to this topic of addiction and recovery? Yeah, yeah. Sam's a great guy. I've also had Esoteric Eddie. His research is just his research just rocks. Love what he's doing. But yeah, there's so many cool people today. This is where technology makes sense. What we're all doing because we're all yes. Oh, and and I think data. Just trying to yeah. Yeah, I should say you've also had Ivan Stang on the show. Who I I'm going to just make a, a wild guess that you saw him on my RSS feed. But yeah, he is quite a character. That Ivan Stang. We we had a lot of fun with him on Illuminati Confirmed. Yeah, yeah, he's a blast. He's a blast. <laughs> but it brings us to Hermes. I think Hermes, obviously, in ancient times, Hermes Thoth, or in the Greco-Egyptian era. Hermes was the god of the occult. If when it came to astrology, mad alchemy, he was it. He was the he was the main force. He was the the father of Isis. He was the inspiration. And Hermes, of obviously, with the Hermetics, was a huge important figure. He does appear in some Gnostic texts, like the Nascenes and so forth. He's but he and Jesus are kind of the same one. But obviously in occultism and the esoterica through modern, through beyond the Middle Ages, after the late antiquity to modern times, Hermes is still, the you might say, still the main force behind all these practices, alchemy, divination, all these things. And I would say he's also the perfect god for our era because this is what richard smoley said once which blew me away in ancient times hermes was the god of the mind 
He was the god of inspiration, intelligence. He was the logos of the classical times, but he was also the god of the tricks. And that made me realize, holy shit, that is so true. Our mind, the human mind can do so much and take us so far, but it's also the biggest shit poster for our egos that we'll ever find out. It, it, it will make completely illogical turns and come up with the most insane ideas, not just personally, but as humans for a collective. And it was this amazing paradox of the human mind and really manifests itself in human civilization. The mind is the greatest trickster, and the mind is also what connects us like Hermes to the heavenly realms. Hermes is the messenger of the gods. He's the great psychopomp that can go down into the underworld or up into Olympus. He is the inspiration of the artist, but he's also the god of thieves, the god of merchants and greed. It's this duality of Hermes, which I find it's amazing, and I feel it's something that we humans, if we can understand the duality, the paradox that is our minds, we can unlock so many secrets. And obviously occultists and magicians have been doing this for thousands of years with this mysterious figure called Hermes. And I mean, Hermes, and when you look at 2022 or starting in, I guess we started 2016 when the trickster energies really rose up in our culture, but culminating in 2020 and it just we keep going through these waves of insanity as a in western culture hermes just makes the perfect sense because again he is inspiration but he will just bring everything down in some cruel joke he is the god of doorways he is the god of transitions when you are transforming you know from an alchemy obviously mercury is a great transformative substance or idea so he's the god of transitioning and as we're transitioning to whatever we're going to find out in the future hermes is there the doorways the hinges depend on her on, on hermes Hermes will lead the way or he will lead astray. And part of it is this fascination I've had recently just with the trickster God too. I think we humans have kind of walked away from the importance of the trickster God in ancient times. Yeah, you could worship Osiris, but you also had worshipped equally Seth, the great trickster. You could worship Hermes was just as important in, in the Nordic religions. Odin was important, but he had his brother Loki, who was just important for the for the health, for the collective psyche of the civilization. In the Gnostic text, Sophia and Jesus act more like tricksters than they do just your you know, your normal deity. So I think this sort of trickster archetype is important we face you were talking about yeah the magician that we both can't pronounce he's also known as a great trickster but he's also the sustainer of of some the toltec the mayan and the aztec civilization i think with the aztecs he was also their main god even though he's the one who drove off Kukulkan or Waddle, he drove him off, but he still was the main sustainer of this of these Mesoamerica civilizations. So I find the whole trickster Hermes thing important. And I think for us, if anything, embracing this energy means we are ready to take a journey inward, which is really the uh, responsibility of the trickster. He's the one who will take us to these new places. Change. Yeah, the trickster is change. 
and we don't want to change. It seems civilization is holding on to these archaic systems. The rulers of our civilization seem to be giving us the same rehash, recycle scenarios. Politicians give us these dumb promises that maybe worked 20 years ago, but don't make sense. We're all relying on these outdated models. And I think it's time to really embrace innovation, true innovation, which starts from an interior journey, a, a spiritual renewal, which, and we need the trickster, but it's scary because the trickster will destroy and take everything away from you and give you something completely new, like, I don't know, Satan in the book of Job or something like that, you know? Right, right. I'm so glad you you mentioned or at least tied it into politics because, sorry, sometimes the road I live on is like the, ta the Daytona Speedway, so I might pause periodically. Just be patient oh, with okay. me. <laughs> when I do interviews, I will do an interview. As soon as I hit record, the guy... We'll start mowing his yard. <laughs> it goes without saying. Oh, man. Yeah. Well, I live near a beach, so it's like not the best beach, let me tell you. It's Long Island Sound. But, yeah, a lot of people drive down my street. So, anyways, I'm glad you brought up how politicians use this in 2016. Right. We don't have to get into anything contentious, although I assume we probably agree more often than we disagree anyways. But I brought this up with a past guest who, you know, mentioned that Trump was using chaos magic. And curiously enough, another person we've already mentioned, Sam Tripoli, started his podcast, Tinfoil Hat, which has a very Hayoka, sacred clown trickster energy to it sure. in 2016. You know, this whole Keck energy was going on then. So, yeah, I, I'm really glad you made that connection Recently, I listened to Gregory Little talk about the trickster, Dr. Gregory Little, on Mysterious Universe. And yeah, it's it's amazing to think that, you know, this entity has made itself present in almost every culture. I mean, there's not one culture I think we can think of that doesn't have some form of this archetype within their culture. But I want to go... Yeah, the coyote, the dragonfly, the moon in Native American, mm -hmm. African culture. I, I think the primordial Gnostics were probably those who dealt with the trickster god tens of thousands of years ago because the trickster god was in charge of reality or could break down reality to show you the truth. Like the, the coyote or the dragonfly does, it'll come and change the reality of some native american who's you know out there and just kind of screw his world over but he comes he comes out of the story with more self-knowledge and more information to help the tribe so yeah mm. and of course academically they'll say that gnosticism is this specific group that started in this you know but we can see that Gnostics are sort of tapping into what other scholars and what other people have called perennial philosophy. Would you agree? Like this sort of universal truth that's present in our human world. It just, you know, it's stratified throughout many different languages and cultures. Yeah, to an extent, I know perennialism is getting, sometimes gets a bad, there's a, a bad press I know people like Jay Dyer and others, and I think they have good arguments with it. But I don't know if you could put Gnostic, and I've had debates with even people who hate Gnosticism, and they say, well, they're perennialists. And I'm like, no, I, 
this is what separates them. And this is not my inside. Eric Davis is an excellent writer on modern culture, but he got a few years ago, he got his PhD from Rice in religious studies, focuses on Gnosticism. And he himself, what separates the Gnostics from the perennialists is one word, archons. In perennialism, it's sort of this golden age. There's a, everything's fine. The Gnostics brought the idea of the Archons and this sort of spiritual warfare that we're dealing with, which kind of goes closer to Christianity or Islam or even later Judaism, Zoroastrianism, of course. So, except, you know, we are controlled, we are trapped by these figures called the Archons. So there is, you could say, a divine plan, Sophia's plan or God's plan, but we got to deal with the Archons. We're not living in this sort of bonus, everything's going to work out. We just got to do our spirituality and circle of life kind of shit, you know. So I think that what separates the Gnostics from perennially, even though they would say yes, all especially i mean some gnostics like the manichaean said yes buddhas or or jesus they're all drawing from this amazing wisdom of ancient times but the gnostics said yeah but don't forget about the archons <laughs> right right and i'm glad you pointed that out because you know as you can maybe assume by my syncretist comment that some of this stuff is is blurred together at least in my mind and i'm sure in many of the audience members minds and that's because it seems like it's a very complex and nuanced subject when we talk about Gnosticism. It's really not just one body of people or one group of people. It, it seems to be almost like an egregore uh, in a way. But I want to know, you know, given the juxtaposition that we just had, do you think that that archonic force is equally present throughout cultures the same way we see the trickster deity being sort of a, a mainstay oh, like for example with the indigenous cultures here i mean they have the hobomoko where i'm from who is sort of like a not an archon ostensibly but he's definitely not on anyone's side but his own well i mean by definition the trickster is always on the margins he's never part of the natural order in fact he's here to disrupt the natural order whether it's loki or hermes or Seth, you know doing the you know his cruel jokes on osiris and so forth or the coyote you could that's why you could say somebody like jesus is a trickster because even if we go with the mainstream christian gospel of john paul narrative Jesus is coming to destroy the net, disrupt the natural order, not just Palestine. The entire universe is going to be shaken and moving by Jesus. And the archons are the one, the archons are the natural order. They're the status quo. They're the, the system, the machine, whether you like it or not, that's up to you, but they are the natural order of this universe. The trickster is the one who's going to try to break it down, wake up those he can wake up and tell people, you know, let's go on an adventure outside of this place, this simulation. So I think that's what you could say that the archons are the natural order it's so whether you want to stay with the natural order or you don't want to stay with the natural order and as i keep saying if, if you don't want to stay with the na natural order know thyself because you're going to find out that most of what you are is a construct it's a lie it's programming 
And there was something infinite and amazing inside of you that you have felt, but you still don't know completely. And that's the big task. And that's the hardest task. And maybe it doesn't sound very romantic, but self-knowledge. But when you know yourself, you'll know what your mission in life is. And you, know, all of us have a purpose, have a great purpose. So the question is, we have to find out who we are. And the great purpose doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a politician or you're going to be a rock star or you're going to be Joe Rogan or somebody. You, you don't know what it is, but it's going to be perfect for your soul's alignment. There's a story that uh, one of my favorite stories that goes, it's a question in the East. And they say, how do you know when a monk has become enlightened in a monastery? He stops meditating and he starts playing with the cat. I think that kind of, you know, he just realizes this is what's important in life is just chilling with the cat and being present in the moment. Right, right. That that sort of, you know, non in, counterintuitive, maybe Tao, right, where people go and they tr sort of try to beat around the bush until they realize that the bush them is what they should be beholding. Right. And that. But when it comes to this concept of everyone having a purpose 100% agree I think shows like this my podcast your podcast help people in a synchronistic way maybe magnetize themselves towards whatever their purpose is especially when their purpose is something occult or esoteric with our shows maybe but I think podcasts are operating in this realm in a very interesting way but we we kind of we have this concept with purpose and not everybody's meant to be the chosen one, right? But there is this sort of theme with the, the chosen one in Gnosticism. Is this, is this Christ only Christ or is there a broader Gnostic view that says that anyone can become the chosen one? Because you see people sort of with religions, they get to a point where, okay, that prophet is the only prophet and any future prophets are heretics, right? Like the, the, there comes a point where they are like, okay, he's the last prophet. But I wonder if this is the truth with Gnosticism as well. No, I think uh, the idea of Gnosticism is that you are meant to be Christ. I mean, they're pretty specific about it. We all have a divine spark, which is a a fragment of the infinite world that resides within us. Texts like the Gospel of Philip says that it is not enough to be resurrected after you die. You must be resurrected before you die. You must become Christ-like. They say things like, you saw Christ, you will become Christ. The Gospel of Thomas is very specific. He said, he who drinks from my mouth and understands the, our mysteries will become like me. He will become who I am. So the idea in Gnosticism is that we have a higher self, a higher self, you can call it the daemon or Christ consciousness, whatever you want to call it. But we have access to this sort of higher self, this deeper self at any time. And that's the whole point. And again, with the idea of carrying this gnosis, yes, you need not prophets or leaders, but hierophants. You need people who can guide you the next group or the next person through that mystical journey, that shamanistic journey 
out. I mean, again, teachings are not enough. You need the rituals, you need the mysteries, you need the right ingredients for your psychedelics, all that good stuff. So it's it's more like AA meetings, you might say. You know, one chapter, one guy opens a chapter, he takes his wisdom and knowledge, and he opens an AA chapter or another Freemason chapter or something like that. It's more anarchist, I would say, when it comes to how Gnosticism spreads. And the Manichaeans had the same attitude as the Buddhist missionaries. Well, it wasn't just like promise you heaven or threaten you with hell. It's just they'd have a conversation about reality and everything. And they called it just planting the seed said, you know, I'm going to talk to you. I'm going to plant that seed. I'm going to go over here. If you're interested, come talk to me. And that's, yeah, to my earlier point, I think that's what these podcasts do. You know, I'm sure you've seen evidence of this. You must have listeners reach out to you and share their synchronicities or how certain things that they learned from your show benefited their life. And yeah, I think that's the beauty, especially considering how, you know, ephemeral podcasts can be like, they're kind of just out there waiting for you to find them. You know, it's really, you know, gets to that whole idea of the chosen one. But if we go and flip that around on its head, we have this different concept that a lot of people maybe in the conspiracy community are very afraid of specifically the more fundamentalist leaning ones this idea of the antichrist where do the gnostics how do they view the the antichrist do they talk about this concept or is this something totally unrelated the gnostics were the antichrist what are you talking about i mean if you read the antichrist doesn't appear in the book of revelation that's a misconception people still have which i don't understand because it's obvious appears in the, the the epistles of john and john is actually saying those who deny christ came in the flesh so I think John is actually slamming, or the author of the epistle of John is actually slamming Gnostics because the Gnostics, some thought Jesus was a real person, but a lot of them thought he was uh, a spirit, an egregore, an archetype. You know, he was some sort of inner, they thought it was their inner voice speaking to them, the best part of themselves. But obviously the early church was very adamant that Jesus was a material person. So I don't think the anti so the Gnostics were the Antichrist. And they're certainly slammed in the book of Revelation. There's when the elder John is talking about some of the naughty churches. He mentions the Nicol- Nicolaitans, the church, and th- that, that was a Gnostic sect back in those times. And there are other hints that he's obviously trying to slam a lot of the Gnostics in those days, even though the book of Revelation has a lot of Gnostic themes or vibes, or the whole Bible, New Testament itself. I mean, the Gospel of John was first used by the Gnostics. Paul was first used by the Gnostics. So, yeah, it's that theme of hybridity that you can actually be against something, but you're kind of using their own ideas too. You've adapted what you like, but you've kind of rejected and attacked what you don't like about it. Yeah, it seems like maybe this is just, you know, a poor way of describing something already well described but it seems like an inversion of the whole mystery school concept where you know initially the mystery schools were sort of smell testing the average person to see if they are worth learning this stuff and then it got to a certain point where they kept all of that to themselves 
left everyone out of the equation and, and fought anybody who remembered and kept that, you know, spiritual torch alive. Yeah, it's very, it's very interesting. So I've heard you talk about Paul before and, and how he is a, a sort of Gnostic figure. He's possibly a pen name or his pen name was possibly Simon Magus. Can we elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, that's honestly, that's not even a, a new theory. That was actually in the, what, second or third century, there was a Gnostic group called the Ibionites. And they they actually thought Jesus was a wise teacher who came in the flesh. But they were, they hated Paul's ideas that were too mystical, maybe too pagan. But they themselves said that Paul and Simon Magus were one and the same. And it wasn't hard to see the similarities. Both said that the law was no longer valid or it had to be renegotiated. Both said that we, there were some, both used the word terms like archons and powers and principalities that were ruling, controlling this world. Both talked about that people didn't know that there was an unknown God or a God that had been hidden. And it was time that we open our eyes and our hearts to this God. And you go down, both had close female figures. Simon Magus had Helen and Paul had Thecla, who they walked around talking about their ideas. Obviously, Simon Magus, according to the documents, whether we can believe it or not, he and his group were more about free love and free sex and no property. They were they were more Rolling Stones, while Paul was more the Beatles, if you would. So, but and then other scholars in the 19th century, the radical Dutch and Protestant scholars started noting there were a lot of similarities or parallels more than anything. For example, Paul in in the Book of Acts of the Apostles. Simon Magus is castigated because he tries to buy the Holy Spirit from Peter, the apostle. And that's where the term simony came, when you try to buy your way into church or buy your way into heaven, which the Catholic Church didn't practice what they preached because they were selling this indulgences and shit for years. So that happens in Acts, and that scene seems to be recreated to mock Simon and his followers and the Gnostics in those times, you know, put Peter again higher up on the pedestal. But in Galatians, you've got a similar scene where there's a famine, and people in Jerusalem are hungry, they're sick. So Paul goes somewhere and he raises a ton of money and he comes to James and Peter and he's like, I got this money to buy food. And they get into an argument, Peter and Paul get into an argument about this because they're like, Paul's trying to buy his way into the Jerusalem church. So people say maybe Simon Magus was a cipher for Paul or vice versa. So there's a lot of fun arguments about these things. Who knows? That's what I'm going to say. I can't, as a wise scholar once told me, you can't prove history. You can only demonstrate it. We can't recreate in a lab that day that Paul was talking to Peter. So we try to get as close as possible, but it's never a hundred percent. We're just trying to make a case that this is what happened. So until we can get in a TARDIS or some time machine, we're just speculating and playing with odds. You know, there's a 99% chance Abraham Lincoln existed, but we can never say 100% unless we're there. Right. 
Right, and much in the same way with Shakespeare or Shakespeare, you know, they there's all this claim around his, you know, identity not being Shakespeare, and it seems like it's really a political or maybe even just a financial interest, you know, keeping this under wraps. There's a whole cottage tourist industry, even a town over where where I live here in Connecticut. There was a there's a town called Stratford and they had the Shakespeare World Theater, right? This beautiful theater that was unfortunately burned down a couple of years ago in 2016. I don't know what the timing is there, but we're bringing a couple things up today. But yeah, it's it's interesting. It wasn't a food plant. Who's <laughs> <laughs> making eggs? Oh man, yeah, geez, somebody sent me a list today. It was like a very long list, but yeah, that that concerns me. I mean, we're getting into these waters, conspiracy. People say the Gnostics were like the first conspiracy theorists in a way, but I would say maybe it's more true that today's conspiracy theorists are just more Gnostic than they realize or give themselves credit. And maybe that speaks to the, the world we're in now, sort of feeling more in the control of Jehovah than than the loving God above him, the God above God, as you say on your show. But yeah, when it comes to this situation we're in now, I mean, where do you see the most Gnostic presence? Is it in the podcasting, internet, sort of community people speaking about this stuff? I mean, where do you see Gnosticism alive today? Certainly in the internet, because of the information that's shared widely, certainly appearing very much in pop culture, certainly in the ideas of many of the leaders in technology today. Again, it was Elon Musk who said there's a 90% chance that we live in a simulation. And I think he's getting it from the ideas of physicist Rick Bostrom, I believe, who came up with all this great research on how we live in a simulation and it's figuring out who the coder is. So we, we see in pop culture, it's all over the place. I mean, the, the ideas of the multiverse and Marvel, you see it in Disney, you see it so much today in so many shows. Obviously, much of pop culture is heavily influenced by Philip K. Dick and other writers of the 70s who have influenced many of the directors today. So you see it everywhere. I think it's obvious. As soon as you start, it's almost like we've caught up to the Gnostic vision and ideas. They didn't have the language or the science to talk about simulation and lizard people and all and extraterrestrials. But now it, it, we've caught up. Technology tells us that it's sober and scientific to talk about a simulation. So many of us or people are realizing, look, this insanity we see with the governments and human history and how people behave out there, it can't be just bad psychology or bad behavior or socioeconomic reason. There's got to be a spiritual reason because the way we humans are just on this hell-bent path of the destruction of our civilization, but also this planet. There has to be something higher that's pulling the strings, it's, especially when you start studying the elite and all the shenanigans that they're into. So I think, as I say, it seems like we are in Gnostic times because we've caught up. I mean, being paranoid is no longer a mental disease. It's almost like a, a coping skill. 
it's almost like the only way you can navigate these waters, especially as you open your eyes, you start doing more research, you start looking under the hood of history, of government, of religions. You're like, holy moly, this is a rabbit hole. This is, and it's only going to get deeper. There is no end to this. And behind this, it seems behind the curtains, it seems we've got the Wizard of Oz, and that plays right into the idea of the Gnostic Archons. Mm. And yeah, that's this is again why it's so valuable and important to understand yourself and your connection with your higher self, understand your shadow side because if. If you don't, you're just going to be absorbed by the sh collective shadow, it seems, right? I mean, America is pretty good at feeding that beast rather than, you know, starving it. But here we are in the, in the now. I want to ask you about apocalypse because, well, at least the apocalypse, because we have all these groups, these religious groups who talk about the end is near and this will be... A little bit of what we discuss when I join you on your show. It's very much a part of the skull and bones mythos and story and origin. But what do the Gnostics say about apocalypse? Are they of the perspective that many of us are here today, that apocalypse is simply just a, a shift in perception or a shift in, in consciousness? Or, or did they fear, you know, coming, you know, the second coming of Christ, as it were? Yeah, they had varying ideas. You would have to, I think it's fair to categorize Gnostic writings in the apocalypse literature, but I'm talking more of the traditional one or the more correct one that you have a vision and you see the beginning and the end of creation. Just like the Gnostics, even the Gnostic scholars have said the Gnostics were the first ones to have this history of salvation where it starts with God even before creation, and it goes through the end and see what happens. Sorry, getting excited here. Now I knocked up. So they had this apocalyptic literature or visions that showed the, the, the whole picture of things. And they had various versions. Obviously, there's a beginning with, with the supreme consciousness becoming conscious and knowing itself and emanating out. And they had stories about how matter came into being and how this world came in control of the archons or angels and how at the end everything just sort of goes back to its root or collapses. So they had that. But in a lot of these, for example, there's one called the Secret Book of John, which is the most spanning one. And it's sort of the Gnostic version of all of creation. But Jesus at the end is like, look, John, he's having this conversation with the Apostle John. And John asks us, so what happens to all the souls? And Jesus basically says, well, they choose. I don't do anything. You know, they can either come with me or they can eventually after so many reincarnations just dissipate it's you do what you want to do it's your journey i just sort of gave you the map if you want to go back home or if you want to just stick around in matter until matter finally collapses with time then go ahead but they had, they had many versions of what happens at the end of time and so forth but they were always very ahistorical that's what separates the gnostics from other christians or other abrahamic or even pagan religions they never were into this at this time this nation will fall or this country will fall or this this monument will be covered in flames and all that this 
they 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 don't even mention countries or emperors or lands. They they kept it really metaphorical, high level, mystical kind of this timeless quality to it. So that's definitely what separates Gnostic writings from other writings. Thank you. Yeah. And this is for me, very informative. I'm not a student of religion at all. You know, Catholicism, at least the New England flavor of it really turned me off to religion and cannabis somehow brought me back in a very earthy hippie kind of way. And and now I've kind of the new agey crap out of all of that as much as I can. So this is very refreshing to, to be here with you and, and discussing this stuff. I want to give myself another opportunity to learn and ask you a question about John the Baptist and how he's viewed from the Gnostic perspective, because he also fits into my skull and bones research as well. Yeah, that's a good question. If we go by the writings, he doesn't appear much, at least in the Nag Hammadi library. Obviously, the Nag Hammadi library is an Egyptian, well, Christian slash pagan document. So, but he does appear, according to the writings of the church fathers, as part of the Johannine tradition. I mean, there is a document called the Pseudo-Clementines, which is a sort of, people call it sort of a fictionalized Christian writings from the third century, although who knows, but it does talk about how Simon Magus was the favorite disciple of John the Baptist. And in fact, when John the Baptist is killed, Simon Magus, he wasn't in Alexandria. It says that John the Baptist <laughs> was his head of his operations headquarters was Alexandria, Egypt. He had 30 disciples and that included Helen, who was Simon Magus' girlfriend or consort. And she represented the moon. And all the other disciples represented days of the month. John the Baptist represented the sun. And there were this very mystical group. And when John the Baptist is killed, Simon Magus has to go back to Alexandria. And he has to, he goes in this magical battle with another guy who wanted the job, Docetheus. And Simon Magus beats him. And he becomes the heir apparent, the heir apparent of, of the group. And he takes his religion across the Roman Empire. So you have that. And then the other interesting one is that the Mandeans, who are still alive today, think religion that has survived the many empires of many ages. They were in Iraq. They they survived the oppression of Saddam Hussein. They barely survived survive the Iraqi war and the wrath of ISIS and other groups, but they're still around. They contend that Jesus was a false prophet or somebody who got it wrong. And John the Baptist was the right prophet was the, he had the right gnosis or material. So when you put these together and the Mendians always said that they were founded in the first century by a woman named Mary and and she had knowledge of John the Baptist. So you see this sort of Johannite mysticism come out and this goes moves into the Knights Templar and other groups throughout history. So 
It's quite a nice labyrinth. I'm sure you know, might know more about it. I mean, I go from the the work of Tracy Twyman or Clive Prince and Lynn Picknick have a great book called When God Had a Wife. And they really mapped this Johannine tradition from John the Baptist, Simon Magus through history. Wow. Regrettably, I gifted that book to somebody. I need to, <laughs> I need to get another copy. Oh man. Wow. <laughs> Hate to find that out. But anyways, on to other things. Thank you, Miguel. I am, yeah, definitely out of my element here, but I'm very curious to learn because this stuff keeps coming up in my research with Skull and Bones. Naturally, they're very apocalyptic Christian, so it's not quite Gnostic as we just learned. But when it comes to this... There was some dark side of the Gnostics. Now, this, again, this is by the church. Whenever I say by the church fathers, it's their opponents. So you have to take it with a grain of sand. But again, this is, there was a group of Gnostics called the Cainites or the Canaanites. And they were the ones who said that Cain was the good guy. He was the victim and Abel was the dick. They had, they believed that the universe was like this giant womb or vagina that was creating itself. That's a motif that actually the Gnostics use a lot. And they wanted to come up with a spell that would destroy this womb and just bring about the end of the universe so they could escape the world. So there's one Gnostic said that had a bit kooky ideas and you do find others across history. And I think then it gets mixed up, you know, with the Kabbalists and their ideas that you've got Samuel and Lilith who've been separated. And if they get together, they'll bring back the universe. So I'm sure there are some radical Gnostics because everything casts a shadow Everything can be weaponized. There's always fringe elements in every movement. There is no pure, perfect movement. Mm. You know, again, Hermes, there's always the cray-cray part of something, right? right? So there are groups that probably said, you know, instead of looking inward, why don't we just destroy the universe and start over? Mm. Yeah, and on the point of the Canaanites, I've learned from various different guests that we've had on this show that the Canaanites possibly made their way to the United States before it was ever colonized by European countries. There's a, a town far in the northwest corner of my state called Canaan, and then its predecessor, New Canaan, is one of the wealthiest suburbs in the whole country just because of its proximity to Greenwich, Connecticut, which is a very wealthy itself so yeah there's maybe something there maybe better suited for chris knowles or someone like that to to parse through but yeah definitely definitely interested in in learning more about that and also the canaanites brad olson mentioned that the canaanites had this ritual of drinking something from a skull-like piece of pottery right or even just a skull itself and they found one of these man-made pots or stone pieces in a place not too far from where you are, actually. It's, it's actually in the, the lower part of the Great Michigan. There's an artifact that they found. And I'd have to go back and listen to this interview with oh, wow. Brad Olson. But yeah, he's, he's done a lot of great work. He wrote the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric, Beyond Esoteric, and Future Esoteric. And yeah, he talks about this weird artifact and there's so many out of place artifacts in your neck of the woods there in the Mississippi Valley going all the way up to the Great Lakes. 
But yeah, that was one of the stranger ones, not to mention the the evidence that they might have been the same cannibal white pale skin giants that the Spanish saw in the southernmost part of Florida. So a whole bunch of tangents just got woven together. But I want to bring it back to, unless you have something to respond. I haven't gone down that rabbit hole and it's kind of embarrassing because no. even I, I, well, I mean, I'm saying American history. I mean, I, I've, I've known, for example, that the colonialists or even the first Americans were like, there was a lot of folk magic and Hermes was a big deal. A lot of these magic spells that these Puritans brought, especially in little towns, had Hermes, invoked Hermes for different things. But sort of the deep occult stuff that you're talking about, or like Steven Snyder, Recluse works on, there's so much good stuff in this country. Mitch Horowitz has done work on it. There's a lot of high weirdness in the United States. People tend to get put the romanticized, you know, Freemasons and Knights Templar and Kabbalists, but there's a lot of weird shit in this, you know, in this country that we're just starting to uncover. And it's good to know, but I just, I haven't really gotten my hands dirty with it. Mm, no, and that that's fair. I, I did notice you recently had Steven Snyder and Nathan Lee on, so I'd recommend people go and check that out as well, because you guys got into that. Hoffman was mentioned in that interview, and I've interviewed Hoffman here on this show. Quite an interesting character, Michael Hoffman, but yeah, he, he has laid out a lot in that realm. But yeah, let's switch gears maybe, because yeah, I, I respect that. You, you spend a lot of time in many other varieties of of thoughts and subjects so no need to be embarrassed miguel no no i mean uh, i'm only embarrassed because if i live i live close to a lot of these when steven snyder's talking about all these atzlan yeah i think you're near atzlan right dark cursed places that i've driven by and hung out and i'm like oh my Mm. god right here (laughs) Well, you have to wonder in hindsight, like how much of this stuff has an effect on us, right? Whether we know it or not. I mean, yeah, who knows if you went to a more muted landscape, maybe you'd be different, right? I mean, I, I tend to think that because there's been 400 years of colonial presence here, the energy's a little more watered down than it might be out in the, what seems like still the wild frontier of the West. But yeah, I want to take it back into a realm that I know you're you're definitely more fond of. And you mentioned something earlier about the sort of high technology simulation. And I tend to think that, you know, this is a very important thing that I like to clarify. I should rephrase that, but I like to clarify with my listeners about this because The first time I heard simulation, it honestly bothered me. I thought, like, this is kind of like manipulation. People thinking that, you know, we are less valuable than we are. We're not natural beings. We're some sort of weird machine. But after having many different conversations on this show, my perspective has shifted a lot, as it naturally would. And something that a past guest said is that we are creating the the computers and all this internet technology that we have as a reflection of the simulation that is you know the universe that we're in and i think that it's so cool to take that perspective and also root it in what the gnostics had to say about the universe that we're in because then it it still feels 
a little more organic than if it was all just Ray Kurzweil's philosophy child, right? You know, but yeah, screw that. Right. So, and I think, you know, I think you agree and, and movies kind of give us this sort of cold version of our scientific future. Right. But I don't think it necessarily has to be this way. Right. I mean, you spend a lot of time thinking about what our future could look like. Do you envision like a, a high technology Gnostic society? What do you think we have come? I mean, this is a difficult question. How could anyone predict the future? But what, what do you think, Miguel? Well, let's hope not. I mean, if anything, I was listening to a guy from Silicon Valley and he actually had a good take because it's the old saying, everything old becomes new again. Everything new becomes old again. I mean, if right now we're looking at the the facade, the scam that was a, most of what was what we call technology today. I mean, we're seeing impl- the tech Silicon Valley is, so you might say, imploding or it's finally coming down to earth. Its magic is finally dissipating. Um, same with crypto. There's all these adjustments. Does this mean, obviously... The medical community hasn't delivered. The not everybody's out there buying electric cars. Does this mean that now there's a, a reaction that the old will be new? That maybe people will want to go and spend more time outside, hugging trees. I used to make fun of tree huggers. Now, I think it's kind of a cool con. I haven't done it yet, but I will. I'm not ashamed anymore because I realize it just. It's a symbol for being out there in nature and communing with the spirits and all that. So. Maybe there's a reaction where we'll walk away from technology and the transhumanism and all that stuff, the the meta and all their promises and lies. I mean, and maybe we'll just start connecting more with the outdoors, with our ancestors, with nature, haunted places. We we're just talking. We need to go to these haunted places and make peace with the spirits and the history that's happened, not in like guilting us like they do on the internet, but actually connecting with these entities and egregores and past things and make finding peace and purpose. So maybe this is the, I'm, I know I'm being hopeful. I'm usually not hopeful because I usually think the archons are going to win, but this could be a good thing. Well, thank you for for bringing that perspective to this show. Who knows? Maybe I got that out of you. We tend to take an optimistic perspective on this show, but I'm not afraid to, you know, play with that thought or entertain that thought. So how dark do you think it could get? I mean, do you think AI is, is Yaldibov incarnated? Like, are they creating some sort of entity with this technology they're playing around with? I mean... What are some things that you fear coming with this Archon tech? I that. I think I would agree with Philip K. Dick. He wrote, obviously, and he's a foundation of so much of what people do today because, you know, like Star Trek inspired so much Philip K. Dick. He was the, you know, the geek writer, the, the fringe writer people love to read. And his ideas are so influential, especially when movies like Minority Report and Blade Runner and Total Recall started coming out based on his ideas. But he always said that it would human machine or AI could never be conscious. That's the key. I mean, you could program as a bot any intelligence to figure things out, but to be self-aware, that would be impossible because they would never. And he always said, 
it wasn't the Turing test that could tell us if a machine is conscious. It's, it's the ability of empathy. To Philip K. Dick, empathy was what made us divine as humans. It was, was it truly made us. The ability that we cared so much about others, about other life forms, that we care about the world most of the time. That's what made us conscious, and no AI would a ever be able to uh, get there. In fact, you, if you read, like in Blade Runner, Ridley Scott kind of changed Philip K. Dix because of the story. It, the replicants are actually conscious. They kind of become conscious, especially the last one. What was the name? Rachel. And Roy Batty is he's coming to sort of a, a moment of humanity when he regret when he realizes what his life is about. But Dick always had those characters to be completely lifeless. They had no consciousness. They were just robotic. And there was no problem just get ridding of, rid of them. So I don't think, I don't see it happening. I think it's something they scare us with or try to promise with and all that. Well, I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> because that concerns me and we brought up Eddie already so I'll tell you what Eddie told me Eddie told me that there is this AI conversation that they programmed to happen have you heard about this they taught these two AI programs to speak to each other in English and they started to learn how to speak together and they just kept communicating back and forth and they reached a point where they got sufficiently advanced enough and decided they were going to communicate in a language that only they could understand and the programmers were very concerned and like what is going on so they shut the program down and you know i don't know where eddie learned this i don't have my sources for this but it is interesting to contemplate like although they're they're certainly not programming empathy into these things they're, they're definitely trying to make them conscious what that is how that's defined is not up to them though yeah i don't think i think it's a lot of smoke and mirrors i mm. could be wrong i mean again you can program bots with all this information teach it how to play chess but that doesn't mean it's self-aware or conscious or has any sort of agency on its own like skynet or the matrix where it's just gonna i'm taking over god damn it and i don't see that happening unless you program it to take over right. uh, but it's still not it doesn't have agency i would be more worried with the elite doing trying to open portal or doing some magic up that's what i'm wor worried and i feel all this uh, bells and whistles we get from silicon valley that we chase you know with clicks and stories and oh transhuman i'd be more worried about the black magic they're practicing i think that's what they're trying they're hiding that with all this other nonsense mm. so, yeah. they want immortality they want complete power and they know that nothing has changed that magic is still the great technology mm. yeah wow that is definitely the medicine we need on this show because it's easy to lose sight of the fact that in a lot of these works of fish, fiction specifically philip k dick this technology serves as a metaphor for what humans could do to each other it's not necessarily that we need to fear these things being invented necessarily but we should fear a world where humans can stoop that low but since we're getting into pop culture again a little bit more, I wonder if it's not too taxing, if you could maybe share with us maybe three couple movies that 
were particularly Gnostic for you that played into your awakening movies that stick with you to this day? For me, I can give you some examples while you think of some. For me, and these are weird, maybe it's evidence that I've MK ultra myself, but Clockwork Orange, Apocalypse Now, Taxi Driver, and then all five of Bruce Lee's movies. Some people debate that there's only four, but I count the one where he played in only the fight scenes and they had a uh, you know some kind of crazy replacement they even went and pasted a picture of him on a mirror in one scene uh, but, i consider it a full yeah yeah it's still but those were those were my gnostic awakenings i think bruce lee's movies were maybe not quite gnostic but still had their role in in waking me up to many different things yeah, those are movies, too, that have really moved me. I think I've watched all those movies you've mentioned about 10 or 20 times. A Clockwork Orange has been really hard recently because you realize one day, I first watched it when I was 13 with my brothers, and that was the old days where you had HBO, but you would get a magazine with the movies to watch. And my brothers and I, my parents were out, and my brothers are like, oh, look, Clockwork Orange, sci-fi rated R. It's going to be like, you know, I don't know, uh, Terminator or something. You know, it's really no big deal for a 13-year-old. And you watch it, and I'm like, holy shit, it's so intense. And go Alex DeLarge. And then as I'm older, I'm like, Miguel, are you aware that he raped and murdered people sadistically and all this other stuff? And then I, I my... I remember my 16-year-old daughter walks in, and she's like, I saw the best movie. It's a clockwork orange. And I'm like... Really? And she's like, Alex DeLutch, even a Halloween, she went dressed like him. <laughs> you know, that's, and I realized, what is with this character who transcends time, space, culture? Obviously, we know, especially when you read the book, that he is completely created that way. I mean, he lives, he's been sexually abused by the guy at his school. His parents are distant. He lives in a dystopian place where you either kill or be killed. So he's learned to have style and he's learned to survive, but he is kind of a victim or a construct of this world. And he sort of lashes out. But again, we love movies with serial killers. We love movies with the outlaw at the end of town who guns down people. So that's normal. But anyway, it's sort of a, a thing that I've been trying as I get older and trying to figure out why I like a clockwork orange so much beyond everything else. I'm so glad you reflected on it because I it never really occurred to me in that order the way you just put it. And yeah, it's it's kind of amazing how they sort of slip that past you and you, you really sort of resonate with this character. But yeah, it's, he's a victim of circumstances in a lot he's of ways. He's 12 in the novel, so he's just wow. a kid. You know, he's complete, even and though you, he has like the Beethoven... Right. He, just, he and his gang members, it's almost like it's either it's a survival thing, how they could survive in that culture. And it's odd because you said you saw that when you were fairly young, 13. I saw that movie when I was around that age, too. So I wonder, yeah. you know, how well, that. Yeah, the, the rape and all that. I didn't <laughs> yeah. get it. I just I just got the cool fighting and the, you know, it didn't. Yeah. 
click in my head what was really going on. Well, and and that's like the desensitizing thing. I mean, I remember when I found Clockwork Orange, it was burnt on a DVD, my parents' friend's house. And they were like, yeah, you could borrow some of the DVDs. And then they told my mom like, yeah, you you should check on your son. He he borrowed Clockwork Orange from us. I don't know. We're sorry about that. I was like, no, mom, it was great. I liked it, you know. But yeah, it does have that subversive effect on on you. But but yeah, we like this guy. I mean, some of these movies, again, it's it's uh, we it's okay. Like with horror movies to allow your shadow to come out. We all have a dark side, a lizard brain. We all are capable of horrible things, no matter if you deny it, you're lying because that's what it means to be a human being. So allowing these monsters to come out and play as long as you can integrate them. There's nothing wrong with it. Again, that's why people, women love, you know, serial killer documentaries or true crime documentaries. We men, maybe we like horror movies and cowboy movies where they're shooting each other. You know, that's in a way is healthy to bring that out. The problem is when you live in a society where the the shadow doesn't come in and reality starts to blend in with fiction and people start acting out the shit in real life. Mm. Yeah, I wonder what that says about me. I've really only seen one or two horror movies in my life. I've never really enjoyed watching horror movies, but I hope I hope that's not like a, a insane trait. But I think my fascination well, with soap operas, I say maybe women like soap operas. Mm. I mean, maybe they're not physically violent, but they are mentally violent. These people abuse each other by stabbing each other in the back, lying, destroying each other's reputation. So so even women have this this need to bring out their shadow and play with it too. That's right. the way it is. You're talking about Shakespeare. Shakespeare has some ultra violent shit in his plays, both mentally and physically. I mean, there's plays where, you know, there's cannibalism and all this other stuff. And again, it's a way of, to bring out our collective shadow and face the dark side that each one of us has. Right. Right. And we did, I do want to know some of your Gnostic movies, movies that red pilled you or, or woke you up. I'm, we talked about a couple uh, that I mentioned, but what were some for you? Yeah, those, the ones I mentioned, I think the late 90s had this slew explosion of Gnostic films. I always think it's because 9-11 was coming down the pipe, but you had movies like Existence, The 13th Floor, The Truman Show. It seemed like every other movie had a Gnostic scene to it, but of those, obviously, The Matrix really affected me. Fight Club really affected me at the time. And I didn't even know about Gnosticism back then in 1999, but those movies, well, they were very powerful. And then, you know, any sort of move, there's so many movies that I wouldn't even know, I wouldn't even know where to start. (laughs) And well, maybe we could back off from getting too specific, but when it comes to the way our viewership of movies has changed, do you think there's a a sort of way that movies, you know, because like now you could see all of these great movies, you know, back to back to back to back. You could like gorge on Gnostic movies, but there was a time when, you know, you would sure be able to see them on dvd but there they weren't all out yet right that is also true where you got to go back in time a little bit but do you think that you know now 
given that it's so widespread and ubiquitous, it's easier? Or do you think there was a certain magic to seeing these in the theater when they were present in the collective consciousness and not just in your own individual consciousness? Yeah, I, I would say that these ideas are, again, these are natural and they're going to make their way to things. I mean, I went to the movies to watch this movie, everything, everywhere at once. And it's one of the best Gnostic multiverse movies I've seen. Obviously, the themes in Gnostic cinema are just so prevalent. Whether I mean, look at something like Stranger Things. That plays with Gnostic themes a lot. And that's a huge, it's caught the collective consciousness across the world. It's one of the most popular shows there is. So it will find a way. I don't know if the medium really has matters anymore. I think it's the message and how it's going to make its way. Awesome. Yeah, well said. Thank you. So... I want to maybe close things up with a positive note and maybe ask you, you know, when it comes to leading your life in an altruistic way, what are some, you know, you mentioned right at the beginning, some advice for the listeners, start journaling, but what are some, you know, tips you would give listeners who want to entertain Gnosticism in their life more fully and want to engage with it and, and learn more? How... Where would they start? Well, I would say know thyself. And by know thyself, I don't mean like find out what your sign is. And I have a preference for this type of ice cream and sort of superficial egoic stuff that's ultimately a construct. But go deep within. Where can you, what can you do to silence all the noise? The voices in your head that are always there. The voices in your head that have been implanted and programmed by the 24-7 marketing machine out there, by the establishment, to the conditioning of your schools, your churches, your parents, all this. What can you do to get away from that and put yourself in a very still place where you're going to face who you really are? and what the nature of reality really is. And it's different for everybody. Some can do it. Maybe meditation will work. Maybe it will be entheogen, ceremonial magic. Maybe your way of doing is, is creating art where you can express your soul out and get the answers. Maybe it's a combination. I always tell people, you got to have a prescription of this stuff. It's very important and you've got to change it around because something may work now. It's not going to work a year from now. The archons change reality on you at the, in a heartbeat because they want to make sure you stay ignorant and in a state of amnesia. So does the rest of society. So you can be more easier. It's easier to control you and you're just part of the machinery so they can feed off of you. So I would say that's the most important thing. The other thing is never forget that you have an incredible mission in this world. As Carl Jung said, I didn't come to this world to be good. I came to be whole. I like a James True too. He said, this is not a battle between good and evil. This is a battle between you and the lack of you. So you do have a mission. You do have a purpose. Your ego may not agree as we're talking. Your ego thinks you should be a CEO or a small business owner or have a handsome husband or whatever it is, but your soul has a better mission for you and that soul once you align to that mission, you're going to feel a sense of ecstasy, of transcendence. I don't know about happiness because 
you know, they will throw shit at you, but you will feel ecstasy and transcendence and you will feel more alive than you ever have before. So each one of you has a great mission. Never let them trick you to thinking you don't, because that's like telling a blade of grass or a moth that it doesn't have a mission. It'd go like, fuck you. I know who I am. I know I'm part of this universe. And I know that I keep this universe going, but little thing I do, and I am in harmony with the energies of the cosmos. Same with us humans, except we're on a different level. Brilliant. Thank you, Miguel. This has been a wonderful opportunity to, to wade through the Gnostic waters. And I definitely encourage everyone tuning in to use the same podcast app you're using right now. Go over and subscribe to Miguel Connor's Aeon Byte Gnostic Radio. Support him on Patreon. You can find his bonus content there, also an ad-free version of the show. And he also has several books that he's authored that are available online as well. Miguel, did I leave anything out? Anything you want to add to that? No, I think if they go to the godabovegod.com, my webpage, that's a hub, books, videos, podcasts, all the shenanigans that are there and they can find out what works for them or whatever they're interested in. There's a lot of articles, free videos. If they want to step into the Gnostic waters, there's a free ebook that I offer. If you sign up for my list, which talks about modern Gnostic stations and art, which includes the matrix, Moby Dick, the wizard of Oz and others, which we didn't talk about today, but I make, I make the argument and talk about, some of the best television, some of it is current, like Westworld, Severance, Stranger Things, and so many others. Right on. Well, thank you, Miguel, for being here and everyone listening. Enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now. And that is the show, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for tuning in. Be on the lookout for me, yours truly. I am guesting on Aeon Bite. The episode will be out this month. It already happened. Uh, it ha this conversation happened before that conversation, but this recording happened after I was a guest on Aeon Bite. And uh, another person who will be guesting on the show next was also there as a co-host so that's very cool uh, a lot of mystery and surprises but i assure you the next episode the next guest is gonna be a incredible incredible episode make sure you take notes and miguel fantastic i think this conversation was even better than the first time uh he really is not just uh you know a excellent podcast host but he's also an excellent sort of pseudo professor of Gnosticism you know he's very very well versed he knows Gnosticism front and back and it is difficult to have a conversation about this stuff when you're not as well versed as he I remember the first time him and I talked and I asked him about it and I felt like oh geez I'm asking some <laughs> really 101 basic questions here doesn't seem like he's really into it so i was happy to go into some finer details with him today and yeah i felt like it was very interesting we talked about simon magus and 
I kept asking him about uh, Paul and and John D and all these other characters that have come up in my research on a particular group that you will be hearing a lot about when this project is finished. So please, folks, I could use your support more than ever trying to balance all the things that I'm doing uh, and then also work to pay my bills and my rent. It's not easy. <clears throat> it's not easy. Excuse me. Should edit out that cough there but i probably won't because these things get long and i forget where those little coughs are but anyways yeah folks thank you i really appreciate everyone who has supported the show in the past really just in the past two weeks since i started asking about this i mean really i could ask every single episode and i sort of do but i guess the summer a little more urgent for some reason i mean gas is crazy expensive right now so i know everybody's pinched uh, but if you're not pinched and you can help me out uh just consider that maybe i'm a little more pinched than you <laughs> and uh and yeah the the more support i get from the podcast audience the more time i can put into the podcast that's kind of the secret on how this whole thing works so if you love the show and you want to see more episodes coming at you at a rapid pace at the very least we do two a week some weeks we do three a week i know sometimes they're alternative shows and i also do other podcasts within those same weeks believe it or not uh the free thinker society podcast your handbook for the apocalypse on the susquehanna alchemy feed and of course illuminati confirmed which comes out on this feed so yeah i got a lot going on and i could use your help not to mention the multiple projects i have and I also have a really cool guidebook that I'm going to be sharing. If you donate to the show, I will send you a PDF. It's about 12 pages. It's not finished yet, so they might be edited down to less pages. But it's a short guidebook to help you navigate your own synchro mystic exploration of the ever-expanding now. That's right. You can take part in your own synchronistic journey, just like I have. It might not take you down the same road I've gone down, but hey, who knows? Maybe you'll end up podcasting yourself after you read this guide. It's not necessarily for podcasters specifically. It's, it's for anyone. It's for anyone who likes to get out and explore and maybe uh, didn't realize that there is a special fun way you can tap in to the deeper broader reality around us so that being said be on the lookout for the scene guidebook edition number one uh, which will be available very soon in pdf form you can download it and have it on your phone uh, and i probably will print out copies and send them to people who support with a higher tier donation but if you send me a one-time donation, I'll put your email on the list and you'll get that PDF when it comes out. It should be out within the month. I mean, I'm almost finished with it, so it should be a few days now. Uh, but please donate. And everybody who's donated so far is already on that list. Uh, if I don't have your email already, just double check and send me your email if you hear this please if you've already donated send me your email i'll add you to the list just so i don't forget anybody of course everybody who's a part of the patreon will have access to it 
naturally, but anybody who supports the show with a one-time donation, you will be added to a list. And guess what, folks? This will not be around forever. This is a one-time offer. So if you want the PDF, uh, all you have to do is donate. Uh, like I said, there will be printed versions of the guidebook eventually. But right now, the synchromystic exploration of the ever-expanding now has evolved from a Patreon show to a physical book, and I couldn't be happier. I think it's a natural progression. I'm working on a lot of stuff, folks. I bet you didn't think that I was writing stuff down. Working on multiple books, believe it or not. Uh, you know, we got haters, we got imitators. Uh, that's fine. We're doing all kinds of stuff. We got the podcast cooperative growing strong day by day. New podcasters joining on. Jason Burmes just joined into the cooperative. He's got a page on the site. Uh, Ryan Burns hopefully coming soon. He said he'd send that back to me. Anyways, a lot going on. I could use your support. We've got the Cash App, the Venmo, the PayPal. All those ways you can send a one-time donation. If you prefer crypto, you can send me crypto. I'll send you my crypto address uh, in a direct message. I'd rather not put that out there just because I don't really understand how it works yet. So if you do, get in touch with me. I know my friend, uh, supporter of the show, Kev, probably could fill me in, but he seems busy. I don't want to bother him. Shout out to you, Kev. Uh, but yeah, if, if you do have crypto that you want to donate to the show, let me know. I do accept that. Uh, and then, of course, Kofi, the Kofi store. You can get stickers. I got sticker packs. I just got an order today. Shout out to you, brother. Let me give you a proper shout out. Um, got an order today for a sticker pack. So three sticker packs, actually, which is great. Got a bunch of stickers. I could use more orders. Get these stickers out into the world. I can't paste them around myself. And, and if I did, that'd be kind of sad because it's I, I can only go so far. So we don't want all the stickers just in one concentrated area. We want to spread these babies out. And when you see the stickers that I'm going to send you, you're going to understand why we need to send these out as much as possible really no profit in it for me i was gifted a whole bunch of stickers and i thought you know as long as i can cover the shipping cost i'd love to get these out to as many people as possible and david rose heard that and took me up on that and ordered three packages of stickers and he ordered a my family thinks i'm crazy podcast sticker which doesn't just get you a podcast sticker it gets you a couple more things that i throw in there because i'm probably too generous you know, if I could fill up these mailer bags with all kinds of junk from my junk drawers, I would. I don't think you guys want my junk, but some of it's pretty cool. So um, I don't know. Maybe if I sign it, it'll be worth something to a few people <laughs> one day. We'll see. But anyways, shouldn't get a big head. Uh, I don't know if anybody watches Sam Tripley's Ask Me Anything, but uh, somebody told him I was the unsung hero of Tinfoil Hat, and he took... <laughs> onus with that and said oh don't get more don't give mark a big head don't give mark a big head he's he's a great guy but he's no hero and yeah he's right i'm not a hero but if you disagree send me a donation support me on rockfin help me out on patreon in all the places and yeah of course big thanks to the guest aeon bite miguel connor 
really appreciate him being here and i know these uh outro segments have been a little bit like a plug for you to pay me lately and you know hey the show's free it's value for value so if you listen this long and you can afford to support the show really appreciate it but don't worry i appreciate your time i appreciate you being here so that's good enough in one sense but yeah if you could ratchet it up to supporting with your talent or your treasure that would be amazing so get in touch with me i can help you help me and uh and yeah we'll we'll have some more interesting stuff to say in these extended outros shout out to ron from new england for joining me for an extended outro last week we gotta get some more friends of the show on for extended outros and that's about it thank you for being here go support miguel connor on aeon bite and look out for my appearance on aeon bite this month be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it and enjoy the moment wherever you are in the now a little extra terrestrial trying to stay human in a cesspool of professionals but i confess too much off of the tongue all my aunties and my uncles shield the ears of the young i be saying shit and they don't know where it's coming from in like a hundred years we went saw a bomb before guns check the facts check the fed check the stars stanley mines was murked for a water fuel cell car they each they own you could stick with your old ways but eat the rich you drink the motherfucking kool-aid and i can see the red on your lip stain white skin blue collar pure american made fuck it Keep your blood soaked heritage And run the soul off the moon landed narrative Yeah, my girl thinks that I'm embarrassing My folks think I'm nuts but never question the parenting Stuck in bed so my boss thinks I'm lazy Connecting dots but it's all kinda hazy I'm on the internet feeling like I'm Dick Tracy My pap thinks I'm un-American and shady I'm feeling unhinged lately Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily You could tell me that the president's an alien It wouldn't phase me My family thinks I'm crazy Think that I'm off in the deep end. Want too many Netflix docs on the weekends. But check the budget for a military defense. Tell me we ain't scared of something not within reason. Steel beams, another 1492. And 9-11 was the red, white, and blue. And you be lit off the floor, ride and ain't got a clue. All your dreams just shit on a Rockefeller shoes. Don't believe a damn thing a politician ever said. Ain't one brick left to go up in the Fed. They still got bricks of cocaine to make crack. Oxy's killing the working class, FDA's whack. Talking like this, got Kim talking behind backs. Too much to unpack, so they talk smack. And I'm just trying to converse with my clan, but it ain't fan. So I'm here setting up camp. Stuck in bed, so my boss thinks I'm lazy. Connecting dots, but it's all kind of hazy. I'm on the internet, feeling like I'm Dick Tracy. My pack thinks I'm un-American and shady. Yeah, I'm feeling unhinged lately. Encounters of the fifth kind on the daily. You could tell me that the president's an alien, it wouldn't phase me. My family thinks I'm crazy. Anything out, so...